passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. There's one thing you can control, and that's shaving. Our sponsors are Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Chaz, have you had any funny manscaping experiences? Okay, so here you go, Derek Riley. I used to only ever say, shave your face, right? Don't yeah, yeah. shave anything but your face, because it is totally brilliant to shave your face before you razor shave with Manscaped. But I've realized... Women don't like chest hair either. And so I've gone south. I have gone to the chest and it's totally easy. And I mean, do you shave your chest? I, you do. I, I, I think men who shave the chest are a half men chest. I don't shave all of it. I just shave the top part that comes up to my neck. So it's like an extension of my face down, right? I leave the chest, I suppose. I misspoke, but I shave the top third, the neck portion of my chest. It's ghastly. Yeah, and you get that thing where you get a little regrowth, and you see the regrowth on men, and you go, God, you actually shave the hair on your uh, your chest and your neck. I mean, neck. But I ain't going, I ain't going razor down there, so I'm just I'm just cutting the weird fluff that grows up over my V-neck. That's it. Oh, yes, fair enough. But you can probably just trim that with scissors. It's probably a more effective experience. Are you kidding computers. me? The Manscaped tool makes it like I don't even have to think about it. I just do it in seconds, and I'm gold. Well, in fact, listeners to the show will get 20% off and free shop- shipping with the code uh, DIRTYWATER at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And you use the code DIRTYWATER. Please use Dirty Water because this whole thing will be pointless unless you use Dirty Water. So if you're going to do it, use Dirty Water, please. Uh, it's time to grab 2020 by the horns <clears throat> and shave. Take your grooming game to the next level. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year. They can still be in on the action of bet online. Chaz, you been betting? I haven't been betting yet, but that's only because it's so frustrating to bet here, where I am so happy for easy online betting because I've always got an instinct that's always wrong. What would you be laying your money on? Oh, right now, I'd go hard on Joe Biden, to be honest. Do they bet politics or no? I don't know. I think so, yeah. You can bet Biden. I think he's a... uh, Probably a one and a half to one semi favorite. I mean, I guess I wouldn't bet him, but I'd bet uh, on Joe Biden fucking dying, dying in uh, in the Oval Office. I'd bet. Uh, I'd bet. I mean, yeah, Trump feels to me like he's he's cooked. This is not going to be a good ad talking about how Trump is cooked. <laughs> but how good is Kamala Harris? She's beautiful. I mean, the, the, except now she's offline. She's been derailed by the COVID. 
Oh, I thought uh, the assistant got uh, got COVID, huh? Yeah, but they're really taking her offline purposefully to show how much more responsible they are. Uh, how much she cares. Yep. And how much better she looks in Timberland boots than uh, Melania Trump, huh? I mean, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. You can just spend all your money, lose lose everything you got, lose your wife's money, lose everyone's money. Okay, so head to betonline.ag to get today. AG, I guess, is Antigua. Isn't that amazing? Sweet. That's Isn't where I want to be betting. Sure, I want to go to Antigua. So head to betonline Antigua today. Uh, betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag for Antigua and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm Derek Riley. I'm with Charlie Smith and welcome to Dirty Water, where the tragedy of everyday existence is treated with sincere and studied triviality. Today's guest is an Australian big wave surfer of immense force and intention. He once had long hair that flew like golden bunting over a titanic latissimus dorsi, and his big and powerful buttocks were brazenly presented to the beach as he flexed into bottom turns he himself described as berserk. In 1982, our guest, by now living in California, staged a coup to take over professional surfing. He retired from the ASP in 1986 and moved home to Western Australia, brokenhearted after the OP riots. Our guest returned to California five years later and founded the US Open, as well as being involved in various media interests. For me personally, the social side of our guest is the most charming. He is so human, often brilliant, so caustic, and with a dynamic contempt for all who cramp and spoil. He's described by another legend, Reverend Bartholomew, as a strong-minded son of a bitch, a brilliant politician, and an absolute master in big surf. Today's guest, Mr. Ian Kanga-Cairns. Hello, Ian. Yes, mate. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. You like that? I liked it. I think the uh, flexing the bucket, buttocks and the long blonde hair was my favourite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the most amazing, um, beautiful, gorgeous long blonde hair. Yeah, I know. Look, you know, you in the course of life, uh, you go through many phases. Uh, at the moment, I'm in the uh, headless, uh, the hairless phase. Uh, which is probably going to last to the end of my time. Uh, but you know what? It's I don't miss it, to be honest. There's nothing more refreshing than to get under the uh, buzz cut, just blaze it off. In fact, I suggest that we actually, I drive down to San Diego and with my clippers and deal Chad's a buzz cut. You know, <laughs> because he clearly needs it. I was so talking to Derek how I've become so lazy in the COVIDs that I can't find five minutes to cut my hair. And so I would be happy to invite you down for the haircut. <laughs> well, you can make me a sandwich. I'd, I'd buzz the hair. We could get a wave. It'd be, it'd be like a whole big trip. It'd be fantastic. Done and dusted, please. Yes. This is, this is not a purposeful style at this point. This is straight up having to homeschool and try to work at the same time. Where do you find time for a haircut in there? You don't. Well, it, it actually is fairly simple. I get the wife, I get the clippers and the stool and sit outside the back door in it, literally five minutes and all the fuzz is gone. Oh, it's just, see, but you, your head is so beautifully round. Mine is like yeah. oddly skinny and oblong. Well, one of the things I've got a lot of scars and, you know, interesting 
sort of things that really deserve to be seen. Yeah. So, Ian, you asked us to wait for this interview until the election had wrapped, and it's semi-wrapped, and here we are. So t- tell me your thoughts. Well, it was interesting in your introduction that you uh, spoke about me at a coup, and uh, it's it's looking like, uh, well, well, for four years there's been a, an attempted coup against an elected president, and uh, it looks like they're about to do it with, with fake voting now. And uh, so there's, I was really hoping that we could dis- discuss something with a, um, an actual logical outcome, but clearly this is going to be a shit fight uh, for the next several months. It's going to go to the oh. Supreme Court. There's going to be a dust up out in the streets. Uh, I mean, it's, it's actually um, profoundly sad for somewhere as, uh, you know, as great as America to literally be this fucked up politically. Were you, were you here for Gore Bush, Ian? Uh, yeah, I was. And it was, uh, you know, very somewhat similar, but the, and it got settled by the Supreme Court. And so the, the actual election of Amy Comey Barrett to the Supreme Court creates a conservative majority. Um, and probably you'll see a lot of these election results state by state and county by county get overturned in the Supreme Court, which will, of course, create massive blowback in the, um, you know, the people that have voted for the other side. And, you know, so there's, it, it's an ugly scene, actually. Are you excited, though, to see nonstop footage of signature experts? And so it's not going to be hanging chads this time, right? It's going to be people... Signature experts on both sides examining the signatures that they have on the ballot versus the signature in the voter record, and it's it's going to be the same exact thing, don't you reckon? Oh, completely. And and how overnight in Michigan, a hundred thousand ballots just landed on their doorstep, a hundred percent for Biden. I mean, you know, if you're going to cheat. Yeah, make it sixty forty or something. Don't make it a hundred percent. I mean, even I mean, even uh, a sad would always get about ninety four percent of the vote. Yeah, look, the average punter can sort of like swallow a sixty forty, but a hundred percent, I don't think so. And so, the, it, it's just, no, it's just kind of mind boggling to me that a world is you know America is very well structured and formatted. It's got a got a got a system. But it really, there's a collision, collision of, of ideals and intentions, and it's happening worldwide. You know, my, the kind of things that were important to families when I grew up as a kid, uh, you know, appear to be less important to, uh, you know, generations of people since. And so you've got these two clashes of ideals. And in America, where you have such an enormous population, and you have an East Coast and a West Coast very liberal pop- population, and you have a, a central conservative population, there's this clash uh, of these two you know, visions for what America should be. Um, and, you know, both of them are gearing up for a, for a, for a fight. And it's but probably literally in the streets. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the record here and say both sides at the end of the day are too sissy to do anything about it. 
the Trumpers will drive around in their pickups and the Biden folk will cry really hard on talk TV. And that'll be it. That'll be the size of this dust up. This ain't Australia. We ain't tough like you. We ain't. Uh, we, we we got no bronzed bronzed Aussies here. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Just look what happened in Victoria, where the the all of the tough Aussies just cowered in their homes when when uh, Dan told them all to stay home, and the cops started to get aggro. So it's it's just you know that the whole world is is you know that that, that ideal of you know a, a guy getting a uh, 200 acres of land with trees on it and going to chop down trees and got to shoot rabbits to feed your family and you you carved a, far, a farm out of the bush, which is you know what my grand, great-grandfather did and my ex-wife's you know, father did and their grandfather. The, those days are done. And it's all about people that are concerned about, you know, my latte is cold. And it's, you know, oh, my God, you know, what craft beer am I going to drink? <laughs> it's just sort of like the world is, the world, it's actually way too complex. Yeah, just give me a fucking regular coffee. I used to worry about um, whether your rabbit's alive or dead now. What's that? It'd be so much better to we're all clearing the land and just killing our rabbits. Huh? Yeah, well, it, see, back then the, um, the Anzacs knew how to shoot and they were allowed to have guns. And so they they were they're a formidable force in the First World War and the Second World War. My granddad was in the trenches in France in the First World War. Um, he came off a farm in Yakandanda, out near Warrnambool, Western Victoria. So the uh, you know our background, uh, you know, growing up, we have these you know these people that created you know literally civilization out of bush, and. Uh, for me, those times are a lot simpler. Yeah, all of this complex stuff about, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, come on, really. It's, I mean, it, you know, you can get kind of, it's that kind of entertaining. Actually, it's really entertaining uh, watching Australian experts pontificate about American politics. <laughs> It's really, really interesting when they don't even understand what the electoral college is about and why it's there. So that, maybe you can explain the electoral college to um, to surfers who are um, historically pretty stupid or apathetic towards um, politics. Because <clears throat> I, I like to defend the electoral college to people, so because basically, so country folk can have a say in uh, in politics, and so it's a more well-rounded um, representation of the people. But many people are very anti-electoral uh, college. Well, it, it gives, I mean, for instance, uh, California, because it's a huge state, has 59 electoral, electoral college votes. Um, you know, Texas, I think, has 29. Uh, so each state's, the number of electors is actually balanced on the population. But that means that Texas almost has as much value when it, when it gets voted on as you know, you take Texas and Florida combined, they they have more votes than than California, which yeah. kind of infuriates the uh, the people in New York and California who want to have. That's why the popular vote would disenfranchise, and uh, and it's it's actually a structure and a system. I mean, for God's sake, Australians criticizing 
the American political system when the Queen can shut down the Australian government. I mean, and it's happened in my time, Gough Whitlam. So when, when you can have, you know, a 99-year-old you know, uh, woman from London being able to close down Australia, you know, do you think Australians have a, a really good electoral system? Not, not even. Well, it seemed, it seemed to work in 75 because um, um, Gough was out of control. And then it went to the then it went to the people, and the people overwhelmingly um, voted him out of uh, government or Labor. Well, yeah, the Gough did two things that were good at my time. He changed the voting age to eighteen, and he promised to get us out of Vietnam. And, and uh, the first that's why he won. All, all those new voters voted to leave Vietnam, and uh, we got out. And uh, so those, those were the days we were when I was young. And free university too. Yep. Swinging back to the Electoral College real quick, though, there are those who say that the whole Electoral College, yeah, now the narrative is that it gives smaller states a say, right? But it started to protect the slave-owning states of the South, did it not? Uh-oh. Well, it, <laughs> yeah, the slave-owning thing. Who didn't own slaves? Uh, the North. Well, the North, yeah, maybe. The Indians definitely owned slaves. I mean, who sure. Owns, who owns slaves today? I mean, no, we've clearly we've made incredible I'm slaves. I'm a slave <laughs> of the fucking system. <laughs> Trying to scratch out a dollar here, a dollar there, manscaping ads, all sorts of nasty shit. Sleazy yeah, shit. Yeah, that's the... Uh, I'm the Michael Cohen of surf journalism. <laughs> yeah, it's you know I find the the American system be pretty fair, but it, the polarization that's occurred over the last uh, you know five or six years has been pretty unsettling. In a place where the worst off person is pretty well off compared to the rest of the world, you know there's a lot of whining going on when everyone should be just you know the the whole Eastern idea of gratitude. Is, is something that um, I really try and wake up and adhere to. You know, I'm very, very happy to be, uh, that my kids are home and they're, they're working and, you know, they're going to college and the door just opened and my wife's walking. You know, that was the sun. The sun came in through the door. It's going to be setting over Lena that I can see off my front porch. So the concept of gratitude. Look at the sunset light, by the way. Yeah. Look like an yeah, even more handsome that. version of Peter Schroff. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so, but, but you also like to have a. I mean, you're fun, right? Like, I mean, the first time you and I ever interacted was over Facebook, where you smashed me down, uh, which is fun, right? Where Not people cool. don't have fun that way anymore. But I had people fun. Get way too butthurt, and, and Derek would know. We grow up in Australia, and you get ragged on endlessly. Like one of one of my mates, uh, Jeremy Aoun, is a Lebanese guy that grew up and started surfing in Cronulla, and his nickname was Black Man. And you know, so you're not allowed to have you know to be in any crew in Australia without having a nickname. And if you can't handle the nickname that you get given, then you're a pussy and you're out of the crew. So you learn how to toughen the fuck up. 
and and deal with it, and then you learn learn how to dish it out. And you know, the one of the really the best things about Australian culture is that you dish it out hardest for your best mates. You know, people that you that are challenging to uh, that are going to have a good comeback. That are gonna, that's going to be fun to deal with them. And so, yeah, we we had a dust up, but it was it was kind of fun. The, and I mean, it's, it was completely fun for me, but I realized that that does not extend to your wife. After the, not this election, the last one, I told her to drink a cup of concrete and got in big trouble for many days. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, you wouldn't want to pick a fight with my wife. See, women are a powerful animal, man, I tell you. <laughs> hey, Ian, you spoke about nicknames. My nickname for a very long time on the Gold Coast who lived the Burley was Faggot Cunt. <laughs> I remember, I, I walking, I remember my very first time I walked to surf a burley. So who's this faggot cunt? Yeah. The, lovely one. Uh, frankly, I, I don't see where the, where the cunt comes from. I don't know. <laughs> faggot instantly strikes a nerve. <laughs> I'm no faggot. Shit. <laughs> I, I know. So what, here we are. We're, we're abusing each other and having fun. And that, that's if 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 we could just get everyone down down at the pub abusing each other and having fun, then this whole election thing would be kind of really exciting and interesting. It would be. But people are genuinely butthurt about this thing, so it's just sort of like. Bizarre. Do you ever do you ever look at the map, Ian, and think, okay, I've had it with this kind of sensitive culture. The West the West is done. I'm going to move, or if you had to tell your kids, hey, move here. Do you have a place? I mean, Russia? No. Where? Poland? I mean, Russia would be sweet. Well, no. Uh, who is it? The, the guy that stole the NSA stuff. He's just gotten... Snowden. Edward Snowden. Snowden. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, 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 he's a, a citizen, citizen now. Yeah, he's a citizen. He's a Ruski. Uh, and he's on, on the, he's on the Russian seat. I, yeah. You know what? I, I would it, it go takes back. a good seat to get on in. <laughs> I, I would go back and I'd I'd live at Quarrumup Bay. Oh, Gracetown. Gracetown, mate. And uh, one of my favourite waves is Hazawui. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a complete and utter dog shit wave. Uh, it's inside of South Point. All the kids learn to surf there, but I used to train for Haleiwa there in, in winter when that's like 12 or 15 feet and breaking level with outside South Point and it's pounding and winds howling and it's big and bumpy and no one's out. That was, it was exactly like Haleiwa. Isn't it called Castles once it gets on the outside bank, the middle oh, of the bay? I don't know. You know, everywhere's got a, got a name these days. Back then there was no name. It was just Huzzers. And back then there was no great white sharks. They have, I, I remember feeling very comfortable in, in a massive hailstorm, laying underneath my board with hail pelting down in some like a 50-knot northwest wind, west wind, and never having any thought at all about sharks. But, you know, a year and a half ago when I went back there, I would not put my legs in the water because <laughs> when I'm out the back, I'm, it goes from being 75 people in the water to 30 to, to two and then you're out the back by yourself. And that's the that's the guy that gets eaten. 
Yeah, because it's been attacked at Huzzers, been attacked at South Point. Left-handers. Two at left-handers. Yeah, I mean, it's dangerous water. That's where you got to go. you got to have a girlfriend who's a boogie boarder, and you got to take her out the back at (laughs) Hazelwood. Then you're 100% safe from being it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very good for the ass, too, all that kicking with the fins. Oh, yeah, well... Look at those Brazilian boogie boarders. Goodness. I don't think there's a finer sight in all of humanity than a, than a woman in a, in a swimsuit laying on her stomach, kicking with her legs. Yeah. Mm. That ain't no faggot. She uh. proved it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ian, you come, you come with so much history. I mean, virtually the history of um, pro surfing itself. So I wouldn't mind starting with the busting down the door years when it's the 74 and 75. Yeah. And, you know, in, in that great documentary, which I've watched, I reckon, six times, you spoke of almost throwing one of your enemies into traffic. Can you take us back to that awesome time? Because Chaz is into that kind of shit as well. I absolutely love it. Yeah, the I, I was more a lover than a fighter. Well, a lot of hair, of course you were. And um, it's, somehow I kind of got people upset. And... So no matter where I went, you know, honestly, I couldn't go surfing without someone calling up. And on that particular day, I was out surfing. I was with the NSSA team. We were there visiting. We were surfing Pupakea, and it was just this beautiful day, crystal clear, right hand is peeling. Dan Kelo was out. And um, I came in, and I was feeling all good. You know, I had a couple of good waves. And it was just really weird. Now, you, you feel the vibe when, a, when shit's about to happen. And there's, there was like a, a Hawaiian guy stationed on one end of AOK and another one on the other end. And I just walked up and I went to the shower. And this big Hawaiian guy comes, you know, up to me and he says, I've been trained to kill fuckers like you. <laughs> and in those days... Well, I've been trained to fuck killers like you. It's <laughs> yeah. a different story otherwise. Yeah. If he, um, he had these gloves on, black gloves with the fingers cut out, and, I, and in those days, a lot of guys like that were actually returned soldiers from Vietnam. So when someone said something like that, there's a, a good chance that they, they could actually kill you. And so he, um, you know, we started throwing some blows and bouncing across the park and shit. And in a brief snapshot of a moment, I'd see the park bench there was Fast Eddie and I think Squiddy was there. And Danky Aloha and Ben Iper sitting on the bench watching a, uh, a contract beating go down. And I'm thinking to myself, whilst all this is going on, why didn't you guys confront me directly? By yourself. And, and that, you know, so then that was one split second and then we're bouncing across the road and I'm just trying not to get murdered. And then at some point when we got across the road, which is, you know, quite some distance, I kind of got pissed off. I go, this is fucking bullshit. And now I'm going to fucking kill you. And when you, when that happens in your head, when you switch from defending yourself to now I'm going to fucking murder you, that's kind of a pretty bad time. And fortunately, a car did not come at that moment, which I would have definitely thrown him in under. And Fast Eddie called him off. Hey, Calvin, is that enough? 
and it was over for that time. So but that prompted, oh, sorry, that prompted when I went back, I was working with ASP at the time. Um, I had to take the kids, in it's to say kids, back to California. I went to the big five store, that sports store, bought a, a Mossberg pump-action shotgun, five rounds, buckshot, and uh, a Red Devil baseball, aluminum, aluminum <laughs> baseball bat. And I had my baseball bat and my board bag on the sand and the shotgun in the car. And I would have absolutely for sure fought my way back and blown someone's head off because, and it was really funny. It was, no one wanted to be stand with me on the beach, you know, was, which I'm comfortable with. I'm, I, I'm somewhat of a loner, but um, I'm down standing there at off the wall after I'd been out with Sean Thompson. And I just had this weird feeling that some shit was going to happen. And the next thing you know, as I paddled in, Squiddy turns up on a jet ski out of the blue looking for me. Someone has called Squiddy and Fast Eddie and said, Kanga's in the water and off the wall, come down and get him. And the jet ski arrives. So I missed out getting mowed down by Squiddy in the water. I'm on the beach. And who should be standing there talking to me but Perry Dane and, um, oh, my God, the guy from Makaha. Johnny Boy Gomes. Oh, Johnny. Johnny Boy Gomes and Perry Dane. Yeah, they're standing. But when I was first at Sunset Point, I would surf the Perry Dane all the time. And I let Johnny Boy Gomes into the OP Pro when he couldn't get in. So I built up brownie points, and it always stands in my mind, were they actually there? to beat me up. I mean, I don't know, but it didn't happen. And it would have been unfortunate because that was the time I had the baseball bat and the shotgun. So, you know, the, it's just really, I mean, it's just incredible how alone you get when you're like that. You know, this one day I rocked up at first day in Hawaii, Sunset Car Park, I'm standing on the beach, you know, right there on the car park, looking at sunset. I'm talking to Bobby Owens and um, West Lane, you know, the great surfer from Virginia Beach. And Your we're talking, and then all of a sudden we're not talking. They've gone, like evaporated, like a little puff of smoke. And then Fast Eddie's red F100 pickup rocks up, and he pulls up right next to me with his window down, and he just goes, enjoy Hawaii. That was nice. <laughs> First nice. day. Oh, there's a nice side to him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when you just know my my fucking time here is going to be really fun. But you like to you like to poke that bear. I mean, those stories sound like they're from the 80s, not the 70s ones. But in 1976, you thrilled your enemies with a quote, um, and you're referring to Hawaiian surfers. Why are these people going straight? Yeah. That's a good quote. Provocative. Well, I guess it's provocative. And the thing was, Waimea, big, big Waimea, is I surfed Waimea a lot, and there was only a few people out there surfing. I mean, can you imagine um, being out at Waimea with Jose Angel? 
I mean, you must know who he is. Yeah, he, he could die. He died diving for diving for shells, hundred yeah. feet. Diving yeah. black coral, two hundred feet down. I'm out in the water with Jose Angel on the twenty foot day or whatever. Was it he okay? Yeah, he for a wave and misses it, and then he pushes, jumps off, and he grabs the tail block of his board and pushes it through the lip of the next five waves to the. And I'm out, I'm not right behind this thing, just watching this guy do this stuff. It's like mind boggled that how incredibly comfortable and self possessed in that kind of you know, big wave circumstances was Jose Angel. So it created a, a platform for what I aspired to do as a surfer, be absolutely comfortable in the most extreme conditions possible. And so uh, one of the things with Waimea, big waves are just this massive canvas to do big turns. And so... Uh, I would try and come off the bottom and go off the lip. You know, I, I really, really wished, you know, there were um, iPhones shooting video and 10,000, you know, cameras, digital cam- cameras on the beach, because there'd be some pretty good old video of me. You would have been a TikTok star. <laughs> and that was the, so I was trying to do a bottom turn and go off the lip or carve under the lip at Waimea when everyone else would take off and go straight. And that was the genesis of that comment about they just go straight. And so in the last Eddie Ikau, when Clyde Ikau goes out in closeout Waimea and absolutely gets smashed, I had to admit that my comment about him was kind of rash and I prejudged how incredible a person he is. Because for a guy in his 60s to go out there and get belted at closeout YMA is pretty impressive. But it took 30 years for me to realize that. So I must have been some sort of pretty arrogant scumbag dickhead when I was a kid. But if you want to actually rise to the top of the world, like there's a lot of people that make base camp at, at Everest and don't summit. And there are people, bodies left on the peak of Everest of those that tried and failed. And you have to be an extraordinarily gnarly, tough son of a bitch cocksucker to actually go beyond the point where you think you might die and go, fuck it, I'm going to go go for it still. And that's what it takes to be the best. And Does so, sucking cock give you magical powers or something? No, I've I've heard that that's that actually gives you powers. And you know, faggots like yourself would know what that is. <laughs> I'm a cocksucker, all right? She is. I'm a cocksucker. Talk, talk, talk about that amazing wipeout you had at the 75 Duke. It's 25 feet, and your wipeout gets replayed every time there's big wave surfing on TV or something. And it's always in the 10 worst wipeouts of all time, but you free fell from the top to the bottom. And you said, I didn't think a wave could be that heavy. Well, the, the thing is that at, at 20 feet, Waimea uh, jacks up like a normal wave. At 25 feet, it jacks up like a normal wave. And then it has this massive section on the top of it that launches up in the air and pitches out uh, like, like it's pipeline. And 
there's this massive change in the actual character of the wave at that size. And on that particular day, we rocked up at uh, Waimea, it was closing out, the ground was shaking when waves broke. And the contest director said, um, if someone wants to go out, I'll run the contest. And I went, well, I do. And everyone else just went, fuck you, Kanga, that's bullshit. And I go, well, I did. Man, I did want to go out, actually. Yeah, because I'd already been out there practicing. I knew I had a chance. And so I went into that event immensely confident. And the, uh, to the, 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 because I trained a lot, I was actually good in big waves, strong. Um, I had no concept at all that the actual risk of riding big waves was that you might die. I thought I was going, I could defeat anything in surfing. And so I went, went out there and paddled out and did really great. You know, won my heat, won the semi, got in the final. I was winning the final by miles and taking off deeper than anyone and uh, ultra confident. And then I paddled for that wave because it was big and good. And I start to drive down the face. Remember, remember my board was eight foot six. Yeah. My 8.6 BK. Yeah. So you know that as I was taking off, guys like guys would already be at the bottom of the wave in front of me. Yeah, it was always a late takeoff. And my board started to go up the wave backwards. And that's when I knew that it was probably bad. And so I just had enough time to decide whether I would dive or jump. And I jumped and just fell free fall legs flapping and when you hit the water on a big wave you don't penetrate you just bounce have you seen that some of those wipeouts at piahi lately where guys are just bouncing off the water <laughs> i mean it's seriously nuts yeah, it's nice. so, so i just didn't penetrate i went over the falls and when it hit it was a massive explosion and it was just like unbelievable power so when I just saw that video today of Kai Lenny getting dealt four waves in a row, I'm feeling for him. But the what happened? One of the best things about those days is we did not have leashes, so I wiped out. My board's gone, and I actually came up like a split second before the next wave hit me, and I can clearly remember looking down this black tunnel, looking black tunnel of uh, in the very end there was a bit of light and I could see people's mouths moving and arms going and stuff like this and I realized that I was that close to blacking out you know everything I had was gone and the next wave hit me boom like that and washed me in if I had have had a leash and I had a tombstone I would have died that day because I would have been stuck there and I did not have enough left to handle the third wave. And so that- do you, wonder, do you wonder, like when you watch the guys with their inflation vests and all this, do you think, oh man, if I would have had those back then, there would have been no doubt would have been surfing on the moon. <laughs> well, it's astonishing to me that um, more people don't die. 
because I don't we, care. Yeah, I don't care the well. If you see that that light, that wave at Nazare that uh, Kailani just had, where he got caught, wiped out, and caught by three subsequent waves, one of them actually came and dumped right on him. And with the with the flotation vest, you don't have the ability to dive deep, so you're high, you're high on the surface of the so that. The pounding that those guys must take with those vests, and I don't know whether you wash far, and it took a long time for him to get pulled out by jet skis. So the, I mean, back in my day, there were there were no vests, there was no jet skis, there was no leashes. You just took a wipeout and swam in and got your board. And um, so we actually practiced. Me and PT would be out at sunset. They called it like Australia Day was when it was howling on shore and gigantic. You know, when the, when there's 10-foot waves breaking in the rip of, at Sunset Beach, um, simply because of the amount of water that's flowing out, and you try and go out and surf it, uh, again, no leash and whatever, and you lose your board. And, you know, so we lost our boards. PTs was behind mine. Mine went over the falls at Camiland and he got his and paddled in. He said, see you, Kanga. <laughs> so I'm out at, out at Camiland. It's, it's late. It's gray. It's raining. It's 20 feet. And I have to body surf a wave at Camiland to actually stop from washing out in the rip to Kauai or wherever it goes. And so, the, you know, I took my over the falls on a ginormous wave at Camiland, washed into the beach at Rocky Point, you know, came and found my board and sort of ended up in PTs on the beach. It's the, it's the story of our life, right? Everything kind of works out for PT and I get my ass kicked. That's, <laughs> that's the, you know, some, sometimes it's, um, but the bottom line is that, you know, you get good stories when that shit happens. So if we're, if we're hanging out around a, around a, you know, a, a fire at uh, Lennox Heads late in the afternoon, you know, got some sausages on the on the on the barbecue grill, pouring some beers on it to keep the flames down. Um, you can talk, you can talk some good stories, and people, and that's one of the really cool things about the the whole surf community that I, I love is the you know the camaraderie, the things that we have in common, you know. Clearly, Chaz and I are different people, and yet we can we can like each other, you know, <laughs> because we're surfers and we got something in common. And the this is what this is the great unifying thing about about the world of surfers. It doesn't matter whether you know you're from Sri Lanka or you know Nigeria or Australia or Hawaii. You know, because we surf, we've got something we can talk about and we can. Yeah, swap some stories about the big day and, um, you know, how we got out of the water at Hudsui without getting eaten by a shark, all sorts of crazy shit, you know. And that that's one of the massively important things that I think about. Um, I, I think that's a massively value aspect of surfing. And when we lose that and get politically correct, like you see happening at WSL now. Yeah, we've been, we've been WSL in, in the global... Uh, vision of political correctness um, that excludes the idea of all of us being welcome in the world of surfing 
it, it changes the whole dynamic of everything. Well, do, do you think, sorry, Derek. No, you, you got a chance. Do you think, Ian, like watching all of these, sort of the way surfing through the WSL, trying to expand what it is and all this, and it feels like surf culture itself, I don't know. I mean, I love you and love every surfer. I mean, not every surfer, you, but uh, just for for something, for being part of this weird community, right? Where right. I feel the community is is going away, uh, that it will die with, I don't know, not with me, of course, but die somewhere. Do you think that surfing has something in it that will keep this alive or do you think it can be completely washed away? Uh, I think that these... Okay, first and foremost, I'm an optimist. And I, I, I love surfing. And I love the whole aspect of community. And I really dislike the exclusive nature of what's getting presented by WSL. Um, when I left Western Australia to come to America, I actually, first thing I, I got invited to Canberra to interview for a job at the Australian Institute of Sport. And that's where they bred elite athletes. And that's, and I didn't get a job because I didn't have a PhD in sport. I mean, I'd only just founded the ASP and been a champion athlete and run the world's biggest event in the world. Uh, but, but because I didn't have a PhD in sport, um, I wasn't qualified. So that's, that kind of, that, that kind of elitist attitude is really inconsistent with the, uh, the broad blue collar aspect of going surfing with your mates. And I, I hated that. I hate seeing that at the Australian Institute of Sport, the, uh, the high performance centers where they get people that have got a PhD in sports. Like when you can paddle out and swim to the beach 13 times in one session at Sunset Beach, talk to me about fitness. But if you can't do that, then you're not as fit as me. And I didn't need a PhD in sports to tell me that. So the, the whole idea of shifting everyone's focus to and every move that WSL makes, whether it's Paul Speaker or um, Sophie Goldschmidt or Eric Logan, everything they do takes them one step further away from the core magic thing that we love about surfing. And so they become so alienated that I don't watch their content, you know, because it's boring and it doesn't talk to me. I, I, I frankly could give a fuck whether some guy pops another air at the BSR wave pack. Uh, like I care about that, that uh, wipeout and pounding that, that Kai Lenny had because that's right there on the, the edge, the cutting edge of uh, what is amazing in surfing. Like people are willing to risk their lives to go out and challenge these things. Um, the that the WSL would try to, you know, they fucked over my friend Gary Linden 
who started the Big Wave World Tour. And they, they have a, a policy of just assuming these assets in surfing that, that real people have built up. You know, they've taken over the US Open of surfing from IMG, an event that you know, I helped create. They just go, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the big dog with all the money and we're going to do whatever the fuck we please. And you guys, remember when they first had their WSL event at Snapper and they just banned all the surf photographers? I remember that very well. Yeah, yeah remember that? <laughs> I mean, just come on, fuck off, guys. Maybe it was because it just of goes on and on and on. <laughs> and so that leads me to surfing.com. We are going to be the anti-WSL. And we're going to recognize surfing. You know, to us, everyone who gets wet on some sort of a board anywhere is a surfer. Except for subs. Let's be honest, Ian. Uh, subs, subs are surfers too. <laughs> and I think, you, I think you have to, in the, in the whole panoply of, um, the, the, of water sports, even subs. Will you take me supping? Oh, absolutely. Uh, after you cut my hair? I will take you supping. And what I will do is I will take you out in the surf and humble you. I mean, I've already been humbled on a sup. I went out and stinking on the North Shore on a sup. <laughs> I got hammered. It was the worst. I got literally that sup drug me across the reef yeah. uh, by it's, its leash. Yeah, it was it's awful. Not easy. And they, but when you, when you think about amazing things that are happening in surfing that need recognition, I mean, wing foiling. I mean, foiling, just foiling. Guys going surfing on foils. That is a revolution in surfing. Wing foiling, where you can sail out and sail back in and then just ride a wave on a foil. Um, all of these different things. You know, I, I go back, I, I just revert back to the first piece of Super 8 film that I ever saw of me was at um, Bado Bay up in central New South Wales riding a surfer plane. My dad took this video. I rode this wave, you know, probably 10 feet onto the sand. And I felt like a surfer. So I want to become a, a platform where those that experience we can share the stoke of that experience with other people. Where, where does surfing stop for you? I mean, what, like what craft is not actually surfing? I, is, is goat boating surfing? Unfortunately, I think it is. Okay. I mean, it's not, I'm not, I'm not even saying like, where does it like anything that rides a wave? Anything like, that rides a wave. And I'm not being cheeky here at all. No. And I, I, I would have, I would have actually said things couldn't be motorized. But when I was in Cape Cod and in Montauk, I actually rode a flight board. Have you ever seen those things? Oh, Little yeah. engines? They're, <laughs> they're from Byron Bay, for God's sake. It's an Australian yeah. thing. And then, you, know, you get the thing up on the foil because I have this sort of weird vision of me, me being able to ride waves on a foil. And that thing of his was really, really fun and kind of dangerous. And so um, I can see, I, I think that it's a, we're, in a, we're in a revolutionary time where there's so much more stuff happening 
in the world of surfing where the recognition of what waves are, like guys riding waves and in rivers, um, the, you know, a, a friend of mine has just launched a movie in Sweden about him finding a slab in the Baltic Sea. Oh, yeah. I, I just... Beach Grid's all about the Scandinavian countries now. <laughs> Princess Alexandra. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I friended a, a, a Russian sup paddler who was trying to ride waves on her race board at Sochi uh, oh, in, yeah. in the Black Sea. They, these sorts of ideas to me are just really intriguing. Of course, I'm, I'm a history and a geography nut. I, I love you know, history and geography. What's your, and what's your favorite little slice of history? My favorite, I, I think the one that, I love military history. You love the Russian Civil War, 1917 to 23? No, 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 but my Have favorite. Have you read the Red Wheel? What's the Red Wheel? Winston Churchill's oh, History of the so Second good. World War. Winston Churchill's History of the Second World War, eight volumes, a thousand pages each. That's almost it, as big as your book. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's bigger than my book. It's, it's four times the size. And it's, but every piece of communication that he had with Stalin and with FDR is in that book. And you understand the risks that each of those people made in terms of being able to transact the war. I mean, the, uh, so like, I'm, I'm really, really interested in that stuff. So, uh, Recently, I reached out on LinkedIn. Um, you, you know that Noah has all of the amazing weather information. Um, I saw this guy's profile and he posted something. And uh, Noah is interesting because they do so many things. He's a PhD oceanographer, a rear at, retired rear admiral, and he's number two at Noah. And so I sent him a message and I just go, Wow, you know, you've got the incredible resume. And he messages me back and goes, no, sir, you have the resume. He's a surfer. Wow. The number two guy, and it turns out the number one guy at NOAA is a surfer from the Outer Banks. The two new best and friends. So now we're going to go shark diving in one of our shows coming up in Florida with the Admiral, you know, because he's going to connect us we're already, you know, our, we're already weather ambassadors, you know, for the National Weather Service, which is one department. We're, we're getting information um, about beach safety and, you know, from NOAA. Uh, you know, we interviewed people from Woods Hole, um, which is right next to Cape Cod. Um, the connections that you make when you reach out and you talk to people and you have interest. So... I get this one. We're going to do a show coming up um, at Cape Hatteras. So I'm telling, I'm telling the, um, the Admiral we're going to do this, and he says, look, you know, there's shipwrecks there. I'm going, well, that's cool. Can I see a map? And then, so he sends it out, and, you know, out to the continental shelf. There's all of these shipwrecks, and I'm drilling down, and there's the monitor. And I'm thinking, no way. Like, this cannot be the Civil War ironclad, the monitor. Yeah. Well, it turns out it was scuttled off Cape Hatteras and Noah brought up the superstructure with Cannonball and the Admiral sends me a photo of him with the superstructure of the monitor. 
And I'm just going, so it's for sure going to be in that show because it's off Cape Hatteras where the, uh, the continental shelf matches up with the Gulf Stream and there's amazing things. I mean, if you've seen, this, seen the stuff that Brett Barley does, he's out there fishing off his jet ski. He's shooting selfies of him getting barrels. I mean, all of it, he's doing all of this stuff alone. Imagine doing it alone. And, you know, having fish jumping on you and, you know, so I find the the mixed, so that's what my surfing world is like. All of it. It's all of these things together. It's people that are competent in the ocean. It's the history of the ocean. It's the people that have gone before. It's, you know, all of this near shore stuff, because I learned actually stand up paddling. Um, I coached people, and I wanted to understand um, riding race boards. It's a 14-foot flat board. Like, how do you ride a race board in a wave? Because it was challenging. And then how do you teach someone? So um, I practiced, and I learned how to ride them, and it's actually you feel like you're Jika Hanamoka at Waikiki. You know, you, and you can take off late, and you can jam turns. It's actually really fun. And uh, so... I learned that just outside of the water that we experience as surfers in the surf line, the water changes like about a hundred feet further out. It gets really still and we don't have those currents. You know, if you, you paddle out at Superbank and you go you know, behind the rock, you can paddle out 20 feet and get outside of the current and you're not washing down the point. But the moment you paddle into the current, you drag down the point, you gotta go. And so there's this piece of water outside that most people that learn how to stand up paddle race experience is flat water. They don't experience the turbulence and the energy in the water that we're so skilled at. Like in this near shore environment where there's this massive turbulence and energy and the power of the waves and all of this thing that's things that are considered so incredibly dangerous to us, it's our home space. That's a playground right there. Right there is incredible. So I taught um, uh, a a woman named Lena Orgatis. She comes from Canada, great racer. I taught her how to ride a race board in waves and how to feel confident and skills within, within the surf line, like in my environment. And it was really, really gratifying when she won the, the Battle of the Paddle. Remember the one at Salt Creek? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was really fun. I was there. I was coaching Lena, and she won the overall. And she rode, she won because she rode waves. And that, to me, is part of my joy in life is being able to teach the things that I've learned to someone else and see them succeed. It's kind of cool. Have you taught anybody how to smack Eddie Rothman? Um, no. <laughs> I would like to. No, it's funny. The, you, and, you and Eddie are bros, though. I mean, I know you're not at all. But, I mean, there's got to be a mutual respect. No? Well, I, I think, well, actually, yeah. I, I think so. There's got to be. Where he's... Um, 
It'd be, you know what, I, I've always sort of uh, fantasized about the old guys getting together and shooting the breeze, you know? Remember yeah. that time out of off the wall <laughs> when I wrote the fucking article, but they put PT's byline and then you and five blokes were smacking him and I had to paddle out and say, I wrote the fucking article and then you were smacking me. Remember that? That was a fucking buzz, mate. I was stoked. That's, we should be we should be fucking knocking down a couple of brewskis when we're laughing about that shit, you know? But I mean, this has gotta happen, right? I I would really hope it happens, you know, because that that sort of culturally, but somehow in Hawaii they have to maintain this sort of angry presence and stuff. Um I, I, it, was, it was really funny. I, Buzzy Kerbox and I were pretty serious competitors. And um, I ended up getting a double-page spread where I'm getting a barrel of, at backdoor pipe and he's straightening out because the one time out of a thousand where I actually got in front of him, I got a double-page spread in Surfer Magazine and you can see him straightening out. It was just really beautiful. And I think when we came in, um, you know, on the on the little road before we got to the car, he said, well, I'm going to go and call Fast Eddie. And I just said to him, mate, you know, there is nothing you could do that could make my situation worse. So go ahead. Fuck <laughs> that <laughs> bullshit. So this one day, we're out at, um, we're out at uh, Haleiwa and a, at the Marbo contest. It was about 10 feet, you know, pretty serious. And I'm, I'm out there, I'm watch in the earlier heat, I watch Mark Richards paddle for a wave and Buzzy throw his board across in front of Mark, hoping to catch Mark Richards' leash uh, and fins on the leash. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that's kind of cheesy. That's fucking MR, dude. What are you thinking? <laughs> right? And it's, uh, I'm just thinking, wow, if any shit like that happens with me, we're, you know, it's on. So we get into the next round and, you know, I'm going for a bomb and Buzzy paddles and he sneaks across in front of me and takes the inside. And I'm thinking, well, not today. So what I did, I popped in my feet and I angled and went and lent on him, put him in a headlock, like a 10-foot wave at Haleiwa. He's in my left arm in a headlock. And we go over the falls at Haleiwa and just get fucking pounded. And I, underwater, I still got him in a headlock. And it was just like, wow, well, yeah, wrestling around. He comes up and goes, you're fucking crazy. And I go, yes, I am. <laughs> because, and then you, you know what? I never got an interference for that. Because I guess that was fair play back in those days. But when we went to the Masters uh, just a couple of years ago in Brazil, we had a laugh about that. You know, suddenly after 30 years, it was funny and we could laugh about it because a shared experience of some fucking shit fuckery that we've done when we're crazy kids, it gives you a story that's just killer. And <laughs> did, that, Buzzy, did Buzzy telephone Eddie after that incident? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. But you you got to understand that. Hello, Eddie. It's Buzzy. Buzzy here. Okay. <laughs> Hallie, Hallie Eva. Um, I got told that those guys don't come here. 
you are cool. Because I got on really well with all of the surfers at Haleiwa, like Marvin and you know, Hawaiian, who just, you know, just died, um, you know, Big Ben. I mean, it's just all of this community, you know, Kerry Terrakini. I mean, really, really good surfers. They were just stoked to have me there and just surfing with them. It was, it was like my home break. And then when I drove across the bridge onto the North Shore, you know, I, I had to just fucking, you know, pack, you know, rack around in the, in the Mossberg, get ready for action. You know? <laughs> hey, Ian, do you ever feel like you're on the wrong side of history? I mean, you're very much anti-boycotting South Africa, yet when Mandela was released, there was a headline that quoted Mandela saying, it took sporting outrage to awaken the world to apartheid. And yes. uh, Matt Warshaw in the Encyclopedia of Surfing, which is indispensable to me at least, says, what does Ian Cairns think when he reads that headline? Ian Cairns thinks, I agree with Mandela exactly. Because my mission was firstly to support Peter Burness, who'd been instrumental in helping the world tour happen. But secondly, because we went with goodwill and we weren't segregationists, we had people that, I mean, I would have stood up for, for Eddie and for Dane 100% at any time, you know, because they were surfers. In our tribe, it was absolutely cool to be that way. And it's really important for us to represent to the rest of the world that we can, we don't care, we don't care what, you know, these four non-use words in, in social media, religion, uh, gender, um, politics, and um, race. We don't care about that shit in surfing. We care about uh, the fact that we go surfing together because the, we have these things to bring us together that we can, you know, we neglect all of that because of what is most important to us is our surfing life. And we are able to just be mates because all that other stuff doesn't matter. Like when, when you're out at Sunset Beach and it's closing out and you know the only other guy out there that potentially has the ability to rescue you is Eddie Ical, and he knows that the only guy that has the ability to rescue him is me, we're mates. And that's- can't rescue anyone, so we've got no mates. This is, this, this is our world in surfing. And uh, Derek, you, you've rescued me before. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, the surf ranch. <laughs> I yeah. mean, on the, on the surf, the surfing the internet, mostly. <laughs> yeah, the, to be able to, you know, reach out and make friends with people um, you know, because I, I, you know, when I when I transitioned and got in the world of stand-up paddle, I actually met a lot of really cool people that turned out to be like Kai Lenny, for instance, that turned turned out to be you know pretty exceptional surfers. Um, you might want to look up a a, a kid named Bernd B R N D Rodiger. Um, who's a great stand-up paddler, but he's like a mind-boggling good wave sailor on windsurfers. The shit that they're doing on windsurfing at, at Hukipa 
Like if you can't say that that is surfing, then there's something um, wrong with you because it's just they're in waves and they're doing extraordinary stuff and they've got power, the power of the sail. Um, the Kiahi de Abotits, have you seen his recent movie on kite surfing and getting tubed on a kite? Oh, I saw the I saw tube on the kite. The tube on the kite at Corumban, the tube yep. on the kite at, at Cloudbreak, um, at, uh, all, all over the world. Like that guy is an amazing surfer. I mean, get, I mean, just, I can't even imagine the angles of flying the kite and you see the wires up through the lippers it's throwing over, completely barreled on chunky waves. I mean, so we at surfing.com are going to recognize all of those great surfers and tell those stories. And we're going to embrace the idea of bringing them into our house. So you can see how we have this concept of inclusion, not excluding everyone except the top 20 guys and the top, you know, eight women. And everyone else is out. And so the WSL has sort of painted themselves into a corner where they, they, the, only, the only people they care about is those guys. But what about the other thousands of kids that are out there around the world that aspire to be, you know, champion surfers, the people that have not made it? Like you, you can think of right now off the top of your head, you know, a bunch of young Australians, a bunch of young Americans that never made the world tour that are incredible surfers. Don't they deserve a voice and a platform? They're not going to get that with WSL. And therein lies, <laughs> like how can a pyramid survive without its base? No. No, unless it's full of hot air and it's floating in the air. Oh, is that a what happens, what happens to WSL though? Do you, do you think the WSL will survive the whatever narrow vision of surfing they have in the COVID era, whatever, like no contest for the foreseeable future, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you know, are they, is Hawaii going on, you know, actually Hawaii going on lockdown? The world, America going on lockdown depends on the result of this election. But, but still, the Europeans won't be able to come, right? I mean, how do you have a world tour? I mean, foreseeably, a pipe start in December is, at this it's, point, pretty fantastical. Australians won't be able to get there. I mean... It's a fantasy. Yeah. It's a total fantasy. So, um, I mean, you guys are in the web business. You, you're tracking your audience, and I, you know, I seem to remember like a year ago, you claimed that you were number one in the world uh, because you eclipsed WSL's web audience. Oh, we're uh, way bigger times. than that still. So how many times is it, Dirk? Grace, 10 times. What is, yeah, what is 10 your times web, bigger. Yeah, what is your web audience? I know I've seen the numbers. Their web audience is woeful. And therefore, uh, when you don't have a, a big platform and you don't have a strong web, web audience because the majority of surfers who are commenting on Beach Grit's posts don't, are not watching WSL content. 
Dead. Not, not anymore, for sure. We're watching LAG and coffee content mainly. <laughs> How much is that? You know, is it ten bucks an hour or what is it? How many uh, people at the same well, it's time? Eighty-five dollars for a very good bit. You can see her pussy now. Swipe up and you can see LAG and coffee's vagina. Whoa! Nice. It's pretty good. So hats That's off to her for monetizing. Her assets. Yeah, she's doing very well. She's got a new car and and um yeah, and, and her sister's holidays is um you can see her um pussy from a from a rear view today. Nice. Holidays, finally making the big time. Yeah. Hey, uh, a while back you said competition is the essence of surfing. Do you still believe that? I think that that humans are competitive. And um, I think that every time we go out into a lineup, we're competing. Um, and we can be as cool as whatever, but um, uh, out positioning other people for the best set waves is a competitive act. Um, so I, and, and fundamentally, I, I feel that um, sport is actually a metaphor for war. You know, that, that's what the original Olympics was about, you know, is stop the Spartans from fighting Athens. And so the, the, the concept of there being, uh, you know, a fair set of rules and is all fine and dandy, but in the end, you know, we're animals and we like to pick up our weapons and go to war. And the, so the competition is like that. Um, that kind of is similar to um, paddling out at the Rip Bowl at, at Bondi is you're not you're not welcome unless you've been there for 30 years. And <laughs> Eric, are you welcome? No, I got 10 more years to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's so in, in no, essence, you know, humans are meant to be competitive. Um, but I, I, perhaps I don't really believe that anymore, to be truthful. I you know, I, I believe that um you know, competition is definitely definitely an important aspect of what surfing is. But now I recognize that that surfing is this amazing community of you know a worldwide of people that have similar interests. It's um it's an incredibly spiritual experience when you paddle out by yourself. Um, you know, I I like to paddle out by myself at Margaret River and you know, a couple of years ago, I was out there surfing and I was amongst a school of salmon out at South Break at Margaret River. The wind was blowing offshore. It was about six or eight feet, four or 500 yards offshore by myself amongst a school of salmon in WA where the place is full of sharks. Did you have your paddle just whacking the fucking fish can? Beat it. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, I, you know, the, the problem yes, was I, I needed to have a sharp end of that paddle so I could spear some for lunch. <laughs> build a fire on the beach and just, but the, the idea that we can, um, you know, go to these extremes in, in our lives in surfing and, you know, test ourselves against one of the world's most powerful forces, which is the ocean and the weather. The, this is an incredible experience. And, you know, we're fortunate to be able to do this in the wilderness and we can find wilderness uh, wherever we are. I can go 
be in the morning in the dark down here in Laguna Beach by myself with small waves and be in the wilderness. It's, it's, it's incredibly liberating to actually leave the world behind, the world of the election, the world of social media, the world of cell phones, the world of work, and just be a, um, you know, a human trying to practice a skill against the forces of nature. That's, that's kind of cool. Uh, hey, Ian, that was amazing. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah. That's, a, that's a beautiful, beautiful coda, little sign out there. Well said. Yeah, it's, that's, that's my world. So get this, off the end of Long Island, going out, in, you know, shooting out in east into the ocean is Montauk Point. And it's really, it's kind of pretty compelling to me because there's a lighthouse right there. So I immediately am associating with Cape Lewin, right? And so I went the other, I knew a, a decent swell. This swell wraps around the end of the island. It's kind of like this disjointed right point break. And I arrived um, last Saturday, late in the afternoon after, you know, traveling from uh, Massachusetts to Rhode Island, you know, uh, through four different states, cross ferries and everything. And I get there and this wave is breaking. So I paddled out and it was about 10 feet. And I, I paddled out and the, it was bumpy and whatever. And I spun around and had this huge big drop and made the takeoff and rode this wave and then proceeded to get caught inside by about a hundred waves and washed around the point and finally had to, you know, just abandon ship and wash into the beach. And I, and I, the two things sort of came to mind is that um, a few, well, over a year and a half ago, I had a heart attack and almost died. And then I, I paddled in and I just went, about uh, two months ago, I had a stress test at the cardiologists. And, you know, they put you through all this sort of shit. And I'm just going, that fucking pounding I just got at Montour was like about a hundred times gnarlier than the stress test at the cardiologist. <laughs> so, fuck you guys, I'm not done yet. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Love you, Ian. That is awesome. Thanks, guys.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.